We're going to talk about fear today. How to defeat fear before it defeats you. We're in the life of David, and David's in this kind of a, a crazy time in his life uh, where he's running, and he's going, to, he's going to be on the run for about 12 or 13 years. Uh, and you can imagine, that is a very difficult existence to, in a sense, be living out of his, your suitcase uh, and in fear of your life. So he's, he's struggling with this. He's coming to terms with this. And God's called him into this. 1 Samuel 21, verse 10. Then David arose and fled that day from Saul and went to Achish, king of Gath. But the servants of Achish said to him, Is this not David, the king of the land? I want you to see that there, the Philistines' concept of David is that he is a king of Israel. He is, he is, he's not king. He's been anointed king, but he's in this waiting period from the time that God has chosen him and the time that he's going to become king. He's not going to become king until Saul dies, and David's not going to help the process along. So he's waiting. There, but the Philistines, as observers, because he's been so successful in battle, mostly against them, they perceive him to be a king. Did, not, did they not sing of this one as they dance, saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? This has got this, the, them singing this is one of the things that caused Saul to realize he needed to, he wanted to kill David. And David took these words to heart and greatly feared Achish, king of Gath. So he disguised his sanity before them and acted insanely in their hands and scribbled on the doors of the gate. And what this means is that he scribbled on the doors of the gate. There's no hidden meaning here. He's just acting crazy. So he, you know, he took out a Sharpie and, uh, and wrote, and we don't know, it doesn't say what he was, but Ortiz, and he, and he let saliva run down into his beard. So, <laughs> so he acted crazy. He's, uh, this seems like a panic move, right? I mean, don't, wouldn't you say this is a last resort? I don't know what to do. I don't know how to get out of this. Man, I'm in trouble now. What am I going to do? And there's, why act like a madman? Because in, in some ways, madmen are people that were considered mentally troubled. Uh, they were kind of protected in a sense that they felt like maybe they had a direct line to God, that they had a direct line to the spiritual so they were reticent against killing people that acted crazy. So David just, you know, pulls out the, the only thing he can think of. He acts crazy. And uh, then Achish said to his servants, Bill, do you see this man behaving as a madman? Why did you bring him to me? Do I lack madmen uh, that you have brought this one to act the madman in my presence? Shall this one coming to my house. So David is, has let fear cause him to maybe do something irrational in the moment. God has shown his deliverance for David in a lot of different ways. First of all, uh, Saul had tried to, to pin David to the wall with a spear at least three times, and he had missed. So either Saul was really, really lousy with a spear 
or David was good at dodging, or, you know, God was helping him. There's always that. Then Saul's daughter, who had become David's wife, Michael, uh, found out that Saul was now, had talked to all of his his bodyguards, all of his soldiers, and they said, I want you to bring David to me. I want you to bring David to me. I'm going to kill him. And she, so she warned David, and he escaped from Saul. Then he fled when he escaped. When he escaped? When he, <laughs> you know, when he escaped, he went to Ramah to Samuel. Samuel is the prophet who anointed him to be king. So he he's, goes to the prophet, and while he's there, uh, Saul sends men to get him. And when they get to where Samuel is with the prophets, they begin to prophesy, and they can't do anything. And so, so Saul sends another group, and they begin to prophesy and can't bring David back from Ramah. So Saul says, well, you know, why send boys to do a men's job? These guys are apparently incompetent. So he goes himself to Ramah to get David from Samuel. But so Saul went to Naoth at Ramah, but the Spirit of God came even on him, and he walked along prophesying until he came to Naoth. He stripped off his garments, and he too prophesied in Samuel's presence. He lay naked all that day and all that night. This is why people say, is Saul also among the prophets? Which is, have you ever heard somebody say, God will never make you do anything against your will? Have you ever heard that? That's not true. Your will, you have a free will. But your free will is limited by the will of God. Think of it this way. Are we free in the United States? We are. Are you free to do anything you want? No. So, because God is God, here's what you have to always remember. God is God, and he can do anything he wants at any time. And he doesn't have to explain it. So... Uh, he lay naked, prophesied, so that didn't work. So then he's trying to kill him more. Jonathan, his son, so his daughter is married to David. Jonathan has made a covenant with David, uh, and David has made a covenant with Jonathan. That's how that works. And uh, so Jonathan warns him that his dad is definitely trying to kill him, and David flees, and then he flees to Abimelech, the priest, and the priest sustains him. He gives him consecrated bread to eat and gave him Goliath's sword. So what David has seen in very different circumstances, in a lot of different ways, God's taking care of him. And it's, it's not less fearful. But, I mean, you know, if you were in his shoes, you would be afraid, and he is afraid. So he flees to Achish, who is the king of Gath, does anybody remember where Goliath was from? Thank you, Tina. Uh, you know, I, I warmed her up to this earlier. You know. So he goes to Achish wearing 
Goliath of Gath's sword. Why go to Gath? Does this seem like a rational choice? To run to the enemy's camp? Why does this seem like the only safe place? In other words, he feels like I have to get out of Israel and I'm going to go into enemy territory so I'll be safe. What's happened? Well, he's overwhelmed. You ever gotten, gotten overwhelmed? His fear has overcome his faith. It's happened to you? It's happened to me. His fear has distorted his perception of reality. 1 Samuel 20, verse 3. But David took an oath and said, Your father knows very well that I have found favor in your eyes. And he said to himself, Jonathan must now know this or he will be grieved. Yet as surely as the Lord lives and as you live, there is only a step between me and death. So David's perception in that moment is there's really nothing between me and death. What was between him and death? God. But he forgot that. And we can forget that. We can forget in times of difficulty, distress, depression, discouragement, despair, all those things that start with a D. We can, in the midst of all of those things, we can forget that God is on our side. We can forget that God is working on our behalf. We can become discouraged by what we see and what we're experiencing. And even people of great faith, like David, who had a great relationship with God, even people who have great faith still have moments of great fear and internal struggle. I mean, we even read about John the Baptist. John the Baptist sends his disciples while he's in prison. He sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one? I mean, he was there when he baptized Jesus, and he heard the voice from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But yet, in prison, he's thinking, did I really hear that? Was that the anchovies on the pizza? I mean... What did, was that the truth? We all have these times, and none of us are beyond the effects of disappointment and depression, loss. And if we don't in these times, these are critical times because in these times, we have to learn how to move from faith to fear because if we don't move from faith to fear, no, have, let me change that around. Let's move from fear to faith. We've already moved from faith to fear. Let's, how do we move back? If we don't move back, often those areas become strongholds for us. They can become areas that have a lock on us of fear, and it's hard for us to move forward. So out of this, David, out of this experience, David wrote two psalms as he is recovering his faith. And so we kind of get a picture of some things that will help us recover our faith when we're fearful. I can remember a time, I can't remember how many years ago. It was about 2000, about 16 years ago. 16 years ago, I had a staff member that was trying to split the church. 
and I didn't know how to stop him. And I was fearful. I was so fearful that I went and took a course on how to be a house inspector and got my house inspector's license because I thought, I'm going to lose this church. And I'm 50 years old, and it's all I have ever done. What am I going to do? And I was gripped by fear. And as the Lord would have it, uh, I was with a friend, meeting a friend for breakfast. I didn't talk about this with anyone. I didn't talk about it with Tina. I didn't talk about it with anybody. I was debilitated by not knowing what was going to happen. And I felt so alone. And I met with a group of friends and uh, had lunch with a couple of preachers. And we met one day and, you know, we just talked about stuff. I didn't talk about any of this stuff with them. And when we got done, my friend said, hey, I got, we were going to have John Bevere come and speak. And, uh, and I've got a bunch of books that I, we were going to give away at the conference. You want one of them? So he went open his trunk, gave me a book from John Bevere, and I read the book, and I said, ooh. The Lord just spoke to me so clearly. And I, so I was so afraid of losing the church, I was paralyzed. I didn't feel like I could move. But after I read the book, the Lord just in a moment just set me free of that fear. And the Lord, and I said, well, you know what? I may lose this church, but this church is not my source. God's my source. But I can tell you this. He's not going to get it. <laughs> I may lose it, but God sent me here. And until God moves me from here, this is where I'm going to stay. And it was amazing. In a moment, in a moment, the Lord was able to take the fear that had paralyzed me. And free me from that and in, in, in an instant give me faith and with that courage so I'm just saying this that that David is in a situation where his faith his fear has just got him it's got him gripped so much so that he's acting crazy I think probably I acted crazy some during those days and so he learned some things, and here's some things we can learn to do. For the choir director, according to Jonathan Elam Rehokam, a midcom of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath, be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me when I was afraid. I will when I am afraid, I will put my trust in thee. So what's he saying? I'm, he said, I'm changing. I'm going to do something with my fear. When I'm afraid, I'm going to put my trust in thee. In God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? So you see, he's getting, a, so instead of being afraid of man, 
His perspective is changes. All day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack, they lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited to take my life because of wickedness. Cast them forth in anger. Put down the peoples, O God. Thou hast taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? I just love that because it talks about how God is paying attention to what we're going through. That he, he knows our tears. He, he's, he's aware of what we're going through. Are they not in thy book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. Now, see that you got to be convinced of that. David remembered that God was for him. He's looking back and he's thinking, well, God did this, and 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 God did this. God, when I stood against Goliath, when I stood against a bear, when I stood against a lion, when I was, when he threw the spear at me, when he threw the spear at me, when he threw the spear at me. And he's realizing, he's remembering the faithfulness of God. And you need to remember the faithfulness of God in your life. God is for me. And Romans gives, Romans 8, 31 gives us even greater clear, clear, clarification. What shall we say of these things? If God is for us, who is against us? God is for us. David remembered God was for him. Number two. David turned his focus from his fears to the, the greatness of God. Because you got to see God is bigger than your fears. What's the biggest? Well, God is. So David, a psalm of David, when he feigned mad, madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. Now, when we magnify the Lord, we're not making God bigger. You, you ever take a magnifying glass and you look at something? Does, it doesn't actually change the size of the type. It changes your perception of it. it. It looks bigger to you. It lets you see. And when we're looking at God, we often have such a small view of God. We need to see who he is. We need to recognize the greatness of God. So he said, Let, let's together recognize how great God is. Praising the Lord doesn't necessarily change your circumstances. We sing a song, this is how I fight my battles. But how we worship to fight battles. And I believe this is true. But what it does just because you worship doesn't make problems go away, right? Have you noticed that? <laughs> if you were broke before you sang that worship song, worship song's over, you're still broke. What it does change is your perspective. It changes your perspective of who God is and how big he is. And so when your perspective is changed, perspective is everything. You remember when David faced Goliath, when David faced Goliath, he said, who is this, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he would come against, defy the armies of the living God? What was his perspective? He, he's so small compared to God's armies. 
piece of cake. Now he's facing another situation, and he's overwhelmed by the size of the enemy's army, and he's fearful, and so he has to get to a place where he regains his perspective on how great God is. The immutable, the unchanging, the omnipotent, all-powerful, the omniscient, all-knowing, great, and gracious God that we serve. So he gets a, he, he needs to understand that. To think about the, the God of the universe is on my side. He's for me. He's capable. He's on my side. Psalm 34, 7. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. He says, not only is the Lord great, but he's also good. You know how that's, you realize that's important? God is great, but he's also good. If God is just great and all-powerful and all-knowing, and he can do great things, but he doesn't care about me, it doesn't help. If he's just good and loving, but he has no power, that doesn't help me either. But because he's the God of the universe, he's both great and he has proven his goodness towards me and that he gave his own son as a sacrifice so that I could be in relationship with him. God is both great and God is good. And so we celebrate the goodness of God. You realize power without goodness? You know what power without goodness is? The DMV. If you work for the DMV, I'm sorry. I mean, you ever, you ever deal with some bureaucratic force, someone that has bureaucratic power, but yet they have no goodness? <laughs> you know, it's miserable. See, what you want is someone that has power and is good. You want God who is great. He has the power to come to your aid. He has the ability to rescue you. He can save you. He is able to do it. And he also is good and he desires to do it. So David had to come back to that place. That God is great and God is good. Psalm 34, 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me and he delivered me from all my fears. You notice, notice that it is a deliverance. It's a deliverance. It's a, it's a removing from. In other words, I had it, and God took it away from me. I had fears, and I got delivered from them. I don't have them anymore. I've been delivered. Psalm 34, 6, the same psalm. The poor man called, and the Lord heard him, and he saved him out of all his troubles. Psalm 34, 17. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears them, and he delivers them from all their troubles. Psalm 34, 19. The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers them out of some of them. No. The Lord delivers them out of them all. He said, well, I know this guy that got sick, and he died. The Lord didn't deliver him. Oh, yes, he did if he was a believer. He got delivered. 
Death is not the end for us. Death, 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 is, death is not the final blow for us. The Bible says that when Jesus said, if you believe in me, though, you'll die, you'll never die. We step from death into life in Christ immediately upon our physical body's death. So we'll ever be with the Lord. So we don't, you say, so that's losing? We lost because now we're in the presence of God? The thing we've longed for all of our lives that we think is our eternal reward? Now we're going to have our eternal reward, and that's losing? It's not. It's winning. He delivers us. He's good to us. Fear distorts the truth. Fear disables us. And if we allow it, it will defeat us. When children of Israel got to the edge of the promised land, this is what Joshua said about the people who were not willing to go in. Nevertheless, my brethren who went up with me made the heart of the people melt with fear, but I followed the Lord my God fully. This is Caleb talking about when he got to the promised land the second time. The people made us fear. They lost perspective. So, so how, do you, how do you get delivered of your fears? You got to give them up. You got to let them go. That was, a, it was that, that day when I read that book and it was like the Holy Spirit by revelation just spoke to my heart and said, you got to let this go. And in a, I'm telling you, in an instant, it was changed not, and nothing changed externally. The circumstance didn't change, nothing changed, but in that instant, the fear that was holding me was removed and replaced with faith. So what you have to, you have to give it to God. Confess them. Confess it. God, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm afraid. I'm letting fear get a hold of me, and this is what I'm afraid of. And Lord, I'm just going to give it to you and trust you. I'm just going to cast it upon you, Lord. I'm going to trust you. And I'm telling you, in an instant, God was able to deliver me from my fear, and he can deliver you from your fear. Psalm 1, Psalm 9, verse 9, 34, verse 9. David got his fears in perspective. Oh, fear the Lord, you as saints. For to those who fear him, there is no want. See, you want to fear God more than you fear anything else. The fear of the Lord, Psalms 111.10 tells us, is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts have good understanding. To him belongs eternal praise. Why do I need to fear the Lord? Because if you fear men more than you fear the Lord, then the, the whims of men, the opinions of culture, will rule your life. If you, if you fear and desire the acceptance of culture more than the acceptance of God, then that will rule your life. If you fear being alone more than you fear the Lord, you will compromise your convictions for convenience. Did you get what I'm saying? Don't move in together to save money and put your convictions aside. There's a greater cost than money.
to lay aside your convictions of how God wants you to live. And it's just, and it's culturally, it's culturally so accepted, but it's not accepted by God. If you fear being broke more than you fear the Lord, you will live selfishly and consume all you earn. Even though you fear being broke, you'll spend it all on yourself, which is a recipe for poverty. You'll even eat the seed corn. You know what that is? See, if you're a farmer, when you've harvested every year, you had to put back something to plant in the ground next year. What happens if you eat your seed corn? Come springtime, you got nothing to plant. That means if you got nothing to plant, you got nothing to harvest. And today, we live in one of the wealthiest times in the world of blessing and prosperity, and we're eating our seed corn. We're not investing in God. We're not, we're not storing up treasure in heaven. We're not being rich towards God. We need to be rich towards God. If you fear what people think, about you more than you care about what God thinks about you, you'll spend money to impress people to feel good about yourself and gain acceptance. You'll buy things you can't afford to impress people you don't know. If you fear losing approval of, of friends, you'll do things illegal. You'll do things dangerous. And you'll do stupid things to impress if you don't fear the Lord, your thoughts become the highest authority in your life. Think about that. Who's the highest authority in your life? If you don't fear the Lord, what your rational mind is your highest authority. And let me just throw this out there. Sometimes you're crazy. If you live by the dictates of your own mind, you'll make bad decisions. But when we make the word of God an authority, when we make God authority in our lives, we say, you know, I don't want to do this. I don't, you ever, you know, my relationship with God is such that, that I want to live in a way that pleases him. And he's not making me do anything. But not every time is my flesh in agreement with what I need to do. So Paul says, I bring my body into submission. Not so that God will love me. God already loves me. But because God loves me and because, God, I want to honor God with my life, I want to not do things that dishonor God. Right? So I'm going to say no to some things in my life, a lot of things in my life. I have to say no to a lot of almond joys this week. What, do what you can do and trust God to do what only he can do. You have to do what you can do and trust God to do what only he can do. There's stuff you can do and God expects you to do that. And there's stuff that only God can do and you have to trust him to do that. And when I, when I say there's stuff that you can do, you can't do anything that's going to make God love you more. I'm not talking about, I'm, but there's, there's steps of obedience that God blesses that you can do like this. The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing. And you would think the young lions should be able to get everything they want to eat. But sometimes even young lions go through difficult seasons. He said, but 
If you seek the Lord and put the Lord first in your life, you'll not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I'll teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is a man who desires life and loves length of days that he may see good? Keep your tongue from evil. In other words, keep your tongue from evil, distress, misery, injury, calamity. And keep your lips from speaking deceit, lies, treachery. Don't speak lies. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace. The word peace is shalom. It means complete wholeness, soundness, wellness, and pursue it. So one of the things you can do is you need to watch what you say to others and to yourself. In other words, he's saying, set a, set a watch on your mouth. Don't become the voice of your fears. Become the voice of your faith. Set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. Keep watch over the doors of my lips. You might be your own worst enemy. You're always shaming yourself and criticizing yourself and attacking yourself. You're harder on you than any, anybody else. You become the accuser of the brethren, which is Satan's work. You become that in your own words about yourself. So you, you need to speak. Let your faith speak. Not your fear. I think Landon and Alex are going to come up and they're going to sing a song that uh, I want you to listen to. And Jeremy, in case you didn't. And Jeremy is also going to. I heard this song this week and I said, guys, could you sing this for me? Because I think it really would help us close this out about fear. Here's what you get about fear. Fear's a liar. Fear's a liar. So just listen to this, and I'm going to come back, and we're going to end in prayer.
I trust you, Lord. 